I have been comforted throughout the years by the fact that, okay, God knows how I'm wired. Now, it doesn't mean that I've hid behind that excuse. Well, you know, God, you yeah. know, you know what I've been through since I was a child. You know what my childhood, you know what my adolescent years were like. So you really can't expect more from, no, I'm not, I'm not presenting that. Yeah. What I'm saying is because he's my father, he's going to walk me through my areas of weakness. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode one of the Lift It Up podcast. My name is Corey O'Neill. I'm on staff here at New Beginnings, and I'm here with our lead pastor, Joe Source. And uh, we're kicking this off today. Kind of a rundown of what we're doing here. You know, I love podcasts, personally. Um, I listen to podcasts all the time. Uh, I, I think I can attribute a lot of my spiritual, spiritual growth and maybe a little bit of the way that I think I can attribute that to podcasts. You know, I listen to podcasts when, when I'm doing the dishes or when I'm driving to work. And uh, maybe if you're watching or listening, uh, maybe you like podcasts too. So we're, we're kicking off New Beginnings podcast called the Lifted Up Podcast. And uh, so how do we get that title? Uh, well, here at New Beginnings, we lift people up. You know, that, that's our mission. And uh, so we're, our hope is that the things that we're going to be talking about will lift you up, will lift you up in, in your soul and your spirit, will lift you up emotionally. Uh, we we want to add value to your life. Amen. We, we are praying point. that, yeah, we want to add value to your life. That's why we're doing this. And conversations are great, you know, and monologue is awesome too, but there's, there's also something special about dialogue as well. You know, like I think the most important verse in the Bible, or at least the most quoted verse in the Bible came out of a dialogue. Yeah. Right. John three sixteen and Nicodemus. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I don't think what what we're I don't think uh, what's going to be revealed in, in our conversations going to be as important as John three sixteen. Probably well, not. Maybe I don't know. But I, I think the things that we're going to be sharing and some of the stuff that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through us and in our conversation, I, I think, is going to be important and powerful. And um, well, honestly, anytime anytime you're talking about the Word of God, yeah, it's going to be powerful. There's, because, yeah, there's just something it's going to minister to the. To the, to the season that a person is in. Yeah. You know, so whether it's as important as John 3, 16, it could be. Yeah. If, if a person right now yeah, who is... who am I to say, right? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, but the other thing that's really important about having conversations is I thought immediately when you started talking about this and the purpose of it and how we're going to go about it, uh, that scripture talks about iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. When you're having a conversation with yeah. someone, you spark off each other. Yeah. You know, you'll say something will trigger something in me. I'll say something triggers something yeah. in you. The people that are watching or listening, what we're saying is going to trigger things in yeah. them. The Holy Spirit's going to bring to their remembrance something that Jesus spoke to them, something that the Word taught them. Yep. So that's why it's so important for us to have conversation. And to your point, uh, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus was completely life-changing for Nicodemus. Oh, yeah. It kind of set the stage for the church to have this experience uh, about being born again. So. Yeah. So well, what, what are we talking about? You, do you want to explain what we're talking well, about today? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I taught a, a message uh, on the weekend uh, about revealing the nature of God. And I felt like yeah. it was time. You know, we've talked about these things before in the past. But again, uh, part of really successful ministry to people, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's one-on-one -on -one discipleship, is being sensitive to the season uh, that you're in or being sensitive to the season that an individual is in. Hmm. If I could just give an example of that. Remember, many, many years ago, the church had first started. 
uh, obviously, as a young pastor, you're kind of naive sometimes. You're not, you're not as trained as you could be later. I remember one service we had, and the emphasis in that service was on the joy of the Lord, and mm. the place became unglued. People were shouting, people were dancing, people were laughing, people were... And, and we had people come up. We felt led to have people come up, and we laid hands on them to just, just as an impartation of joy. Well, was, I've heard it called Fun Church. Fun Church. Fun is Church. That, is that what it is? <laughs> is it I, someone I here call, yeah, called, called? Called the that. Fun Church? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'll never forget that because it taught me such a lesson on how to really listen to the Holy Spirit. There was a woman there. She was standing in the middle of the prayer line, right in the middle. And here I am, I'm laying hands on people and people are falling out in the spirit. The spirit of joy is coming on them, all this other stuff. And I get in front of this person. Now I'm full of um, the joy is all over hmm. because this is what I'm experiencing. But when I laid hands on her, she started crying and sobbing. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is now. She was carrying a grief that none of us were aware of. Her, she just found out that her husband had had an affair for years and years and years. And it was heartbreaking, just heart shattering. Well, when I realized, what are you doing here? You're, you're assuming that this person is in the same season as everyone else, wow. and they weren't. And it wasn't that she affected everything else, but it definitely affected me. Like, we can't assume that people are experiencing what we're experiencing. Just yeah. like right now, what we're talking, we can't assume that everyone has the right, accurately, biblically accurate perspective of the nature of God. It's so, it's so easy to overlook that. It's, it's so, very easy yeah. to overlook that. It's, it's, we just assume that everybody's in on the same thing that we're in yeah. on. And we're not. There, I'm sure that there are people listening, there's people that are watching, that are suffering in their spiritual growth, they're suffering in their emotions, they're dwarfed in certain areas of their life and their spiritual growth, their emotional growth, yeah. because they haven't had the knowledge or the information, and they haven't accessed yeah. the information yet on what the true nature of God really is. Yeah, because sometimes I always want to say, like, don't you know God wants to take care of you? And sometimes the answer is no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I hadn't seen it that way or didn't, or whatever my training was. And regardless of what people say, well, I wasn't raised in church. Yeah, but you still have had some type of training to formulate a belief system. Mm -hmm. It could be completely wrong, completely contrary to what the Word of God says. But we can't just, there's no, there's no blank, there are no blank slates. Mm -hmm. Everybody's bringing something in with them. Everyone's carrying some type of baggage That's when they come into point. the kingdom. No, there is no blank slate. There is no really. blank slate. I never thought about that. Yeah. There, I, I don't want to get into a history lesson because you know I'm kind of a history buff and stuff. <laughs> But I'll never forget, there was a king who lived during medieval times. And um, he decided that he was going to conduct an experiment. That he felt that if he took a man, and if he took a, a little infant, little boy, little girl, infants, and placed them in a room and not have them have any contact with the outside world except for one individual that never spoke to them, he, in his ignorance, uh, he assumed that they would return to the language that Adam and Eve had. <laughs> which was what which was only god knows i don't know only god knows what kind of language they spoke obviously he created two emotional cripples and eventually these individuals as they grew had to be led at that to, but but now they carried what you would think would be a blank slate yeah. they carried the horror of that experience of being shut off oh from gosh. everybody else so wow. even that in that case there's no blank slate yeah i you know honestly i i, I think that leads into kind of what we want to talk about here, how God 
understands us. He understands our, our life. He understands that, no, we don't have a blank slate. That the, what would the opposite of a blank slate be? A slate with stuff written on it? I don't clutter. Know. <laughs> clutter, yeah. <clears throat> he understands the clutter. Right. Um, you know, when, Psalm, we, when we go to that verse, and, and I believe you're going to go to Psalm 139. Yeah. Um, but how God knows our frame and understands us. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer. Uh, I don't remember if this is David, but David, we yeah. talked about this also appears in Psalm 103. Okay, the same concept that he knows our frame. He knows that we're just dust. Um, the first time I came across that scripture and really studied it, I thought to myself, wow. What it spoke to me immediately, and I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to use this, what we would in our language translate to frame, because immediately I thought of how a computer is wired. Mm. Uh, and it's, he knows, so I, when I hear that verse, I automatically in my head hear, he knows how I'm wired. Yeah. He knows how you're wired. Mm. He knows everything that you've been exposed to from the time that you can remember and even before you could remember. Yeah. He knows everything I've been exposed to. So because he's merciful and because he's all knowing and he is love, it's not that he grades us on the curve. I don't want to use that kind of, a, I don't want to put God in that perspective, but he knows what we're capable of. Uh, he knows to what height we can rise to. Uh, I'm talking about in him. But he also knows where our limitations are and knows what to, in other words, what areas of our life does he need to really... He sees the full picture. He not only sees the full picture for the future, but he also knows, look, a person that's been completely damaged from the time that they were born emotionally, okay? He knows, okay? He's going to have to walk that person through some things. Yeah. He's going to have to bring them through some paths of healing. Yeah. He's going to have to have, might have to have way more patience with me than he's had to have with you. Okay. And, and then there might be areas in your life where it's like, okay, that's why we're told in the scriptures. And I believe Paul talks about this in one of the letters to the Corinthians that we should never compare each other hmm. with each other. He said it's not wise. It's not wise. It's not productive. It's not fruitful. Yeah. Why? Because you have a frame. Yeah. I have a frame. My frame is very different than yours, okay? Even in the fact of life experience, okay? So I, I have been comforted throughout the years by the fact that, okay, God knows how I'm wired. Now, it doesn't mean that I've hid behind that excuse. Well, you know, God, you, yeah. know, you know what I've been through since I was a child. You know what my childhood, you know what my adolescent years were like, so you really can't expect more from, no, I'm not, I'm not presenting that. Yeah. What I'm saying is because he's my father, He's going to walk me through my areas of weakness. He yeah. knows my frame. I don't know that a lot of Christians really, I know it took me many years to come to that conclusion, to come to that perspective of God. He's patient, he's long suffering. I mean, look at all the garbage he puts up with in our world today. Hmm. You think about this. If, if ancient Israel or any other ancient kingdom would have sunk to, to the low, place that this nation is right now it would have been wiped off the face of the earth a long time oh, yeah. ago but he's patient with us yeah he's long-suffering okay and um because we're not like that in our own human nature we don't we assume that he's not that yeah. way either because that that would make perfect sense to me you know the the love that, that I've received in my life and the love that I've given out in my life before I knew Christ like I just assumed that's got to be what God's like. And then when I found out that yeah. 
there, there was one thing that you said before that about God knowing our path. You know, he knows what path to take us on because he knows our wiring. You know, he understands us. I studied the, the scripture out in Psalm 139 a little bit before I even knew we were going to do this podcast. Right. right. And I was studying verse three of Psalm 139. He says, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And I decided to look up the Hebrew of, of that verse and the word, that word comprehend, it says, you comprehend my path. The Hebrew word for comprehend is, is I don't know if I'm saying this right, Zara or Zara. Mm-hmm. And so I looked it up a little bit and it means to sift the window and it's it's the same idea of like like sit like oh, wait the wind blowing off the grain right like exactly the, the chaff off of that's how they used grain. to separate and prepare the grain yeah. to be ground into flour you got to get rid of the husk you got to get rid of the junk you got to yeah so, so yeah. he sees past the junk he he sees past the chaff but of he also walks us through the winnowing he, process oh that's good in other words sometimes you feel like your life is just thrown up in the air it's like yeah. what's going on that's how they used to separate the wheat from the chaff they would throw it up in the air and you know obviously it has to be done on a windy day so the wind would take away the chaff which does not have the weight wow. that the wheat does yeah in other words it the things that are affecting the wind right the the things that affect our lives do not have the weight that the true essence of who he's made us to be wow. they're only side issues they're the yeah. husk they're the junk on the outside that's got to get peeled off so yeah. that the true nature we don't think of them as side issues. We, we think of them as like no. the final chapter of our story. It's the final chapter of our story and the main, this is the main yeah. thing. I, I can't move on in life until this thing. Yep. No, stop that. God can do, you can do anything. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us Amen. in spite of the issues. And so look at the disciples. I mean, come on, you talk about dysfunctional people. I mean, even at the Last <laughs> Supper, they're fighting with each other. Who's gonna have the best position in the kingdom? Yeah. Come on. Jesus is going to go to the cross. Jesus is going to suffer. And they're sitting there. They're worried about themselves. Yeah. Well, spe- well speaking of that, uh, you know, kind of leading into another scripture that, that, uh, that we talked about or, or that you preached on mm-hmm. in that revealing the nature of God, because uh, he understands us, right? Hebrews 4 says that we don't have a, a great high priest, a great high priest who cannot sympathize with right. us. In other words, it's not like God doesn't get us. It's not like God can't sympathize with us because right. he knows what it's like to but be one of us. he doesn't keep us there. He doesn't keep us there. He knows what it's like to be one of us. Our sin affected him. Mm-hmm. He didn't sin. It was our sin that did him in. He, he knows what our weakness feels like. He can relate to us. Yeah, I, I talked about this just recently um, in another message, uh, midweek message, mm-hmm. how... Um, Jesus hates what sin did to us. Mm. He hates sin. Yeah. But he hates what it did to us. He hates what it did to mankind. It, he hates what it did to creation. He hates all that. That's why he's a restorer. That's the motivation behind the restoration. Yeah. Is he hates because we were created, number one, to live forever. We were created to have fellowship with God, uninterrupted, completely mm. open, completely innocent, completely. I mean, they were naked, and they didn't even. It, was, it didn't even have a significance. It didn't yeah. affect their their relationship between between themselves and God. And there was no chaff. What's that? There was no chaff. There was no chaff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were who they were. They they yeah. walked in the essence of who God created them to be mm-hmm. until sin came in. 
and um, he hates what it's done to us. And that, that his mission, we don't really, I don't think we fully grasped completely what the mission of the Messiah, of the Son of God. We that have been born again now, we have the Spirit of God living in us. We've, we've experienced a measure of restoration. Obviously, you know, when we get, when we step into eternity, we get our glorified bodies, uh, our minds are completely renewed. It's the full restoration. Yeah. But here on earth, we have a measure of that restoration. You know, uh, the earth itself has not been affected by the restoration. If anything, it's more degenerate now than it was before. Yeah. When I say degenerate, it's on a downward path. Right, yeah. It's not getting better, it's no. getting worse. Uh, because the effects of sin, uh, I mean, weeds still grow, roses still have thorns, uh, viruses and bacteria are still free to do yeah. what they want to do. Uh, of course, the church has authority in those areas, but we've not yet seen that full restoration. And, and the other part of the mission is that something that the church, and again, we're coming back to that nature of God. God is a God of justice. Yeah. Now, we hear a lot about justice today. 99.9% .9 of what we hear about justice today is about humanity hmm. and our injustice one to another. But when, when, when the Bible talks about God being a God of justice, it's referring to, I don't want to use the word battle, but it's referring to the state of war that exists between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And most of the church is completely oblivious. They think it's all about us, all about us. Yeah. My inhumanity uh, to man. Uh, come on. <laughs> we can repair those things. But what we're not uh, uh, constantly aware of, Jesus came to this earth to punish Satan, mm -hmm. to raise up an entity called the church yeah. that would shove it in his face. Here, how humiliating is it for the enemy? to be put in his place by a mere flesh and blood and bone person who's in a mortal body, that someday this body's gonna go to the grave. Okay, I'm gonna get a glorified one, um, but how humiliating is that to a, a superpower, a, yeah. a supernatural super being created by God that has powers within the unseen realm that yeah. we, we don't yet have or haven't experienced yet. But to be put in, the, in its place by us, we don't see that part of God's nature. No. That he, and we don't see how important it is for the church, the yes. people of God, to rise up and to take on that and say, oh my God, I just realize this. That's part of covenant. When, when, when one person makes a covenant with the other, in other words, if you have enemies, those enemies, those enemies become my enemies. Yeah. Okay, and if I'm stronger than you and I'm stronger than that, your enemy, yep. your enemy better be very careful about what he does. Yeah. Why? Because I'm on your side. We don't, we don't pay attention to that fact. We want to see God as this fluffy, uh, joyful, peaceful. He <laughs> is a, a mighty man of war. Yeah. And there is a, this isn't going to sound good, but I don't know how it's, there's a vendetta that needs to get settled. Mm. Because of what Satan did, what he stirred up in heaven, what he caused to come on the earth, the sickness, the disease, the, the, the fact that we die, our bodies, we're not supposed to no. die. Just that fact, we forget that Jesus came to this earth, man, to put him in his place, and what better way? What, we're all about humiliating the enemy. Yeah. And that's why it's so bad and it's so uh, counterproductive when a Christian, when a person who's born again has the Holy Ghost in them and steps out into the kingdom of darkness once in a while, the enemy loves that. Mm. 
It's almost like he takes a trophy and goes, yeah, see, you raise them up, but they're still following me. You know, I was looking at this the other day in Ephesians chapter two. It says that the whole purpose behind all of this is so that God through us would, would have his manifold wisdom on display for the angelic realm. Which is so much, which is so exactly, which is so much more complicated. I don't mean that in a negative way, but so much more intricate and so much more highly developed than we pay attention to. Cause that, cause this goes back to what you were saying before, like we're very me centered in our, in our prayer life. Absolutely. It's all about him. Cause I remember when I was studying that, I was like, so that's the purpose behind all of this. But what's that got to, to, what's that got to do with me? And then it just dawned on me, nothing. Duh. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking of a song from years ago. Um, and it's based on scripture. I believe it's based on a scripture in the book of Isaiah. It says, through our God, we shall do valiantly. Mm-hmm. It's only through him that we do valiantly. It's not in our willpower. Yeah. And it, honestly, it, don't, it should only be for his purpose. It, we shouldn't tap into the power of God because we want to fulfill our needs. We shouldn't tap into the power of God because we want to accumulate something that we feel like we deserve to have. We should tap into the power of God because now that we're in covenant with him, yeah. his enemies become our enemies. Mm-hmm. Because we, we, know, we know, we forget that. We forget it because we, again, we've made ourselves the, the center of the universe. Yeah. But it's like, we're on his side now. And we, we should count whatever's an enemy to the will of God, whatever's an enemy to the kingdom of God should be an enemy to us. In fact, yeah. I, it says that in, um, um, I believe it's in the book of James, that if you love the world, you become, you switch sides now and you become an enemy of God. Yeah. I don't want to be an enemy. No, of none of us want to be an enemy. We've seen what he can do. Yeah. But well, on, on the topic of enemies of God and, you, you know, we're, we're talking about the lost, you know, wh- wh- whether or not the people who don't know Christ know it, um, they're not on God's side. And, and they don't oh, even realize it. They don't even realize it. And, and God, and this kind of goes into like the next little section of mm-hmm. what we're talking about. How, well, first we talk about how God understands us. He knows what it's like to be us. He has, he, he sympathizes with us. It's not like he is so distant from us that he doesn't get us. Absolutely. Right? Um, but before we go into that next ses- section, let's yeah. spend a little bit more time in Hebrews 4. Sure. Because uh, that is such an important portion of scripture for the believer, for the Christian. Yeah. And let's face it. 99.9% of the people that are probably listening right now or watching right now, uh, they're believers. They're Christians. Yeah. They're people that would say, yeah, I'm born again. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's living inside me. Uh, but look at this. Uh, let me read this. Okay. I love putting stuff in context. I, th- that's one of the best ways to get to know the nature of God. Because yeah. we in our humanity, we find a scripture that we like, we pull it out of context and we'll use it. Yeah. We well, beat it to death. Did. It's exactly what the <laughs> devil did. Thank God Jesus knew yeah. better. Verse 14 Okay, is the verse that we're referring to here. Is in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let's stick with what we really believe. All right, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. I almost wish he would have, the writer of this, what I believe was Paul, I wish he would have used a different sentence structure. Because it almost sounds tricky, right? (laughs) 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot, why, did, why didn't he just say, we've had a high priest who can sympathize? <laughs> I guess we'll ask him whoever it is. Peter, Paul, Peter said, Peter said, Paul's writings are heavy. They're hard to understand. Yeah, so probably <laughs> okay, so for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we, as we are yet without sin. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we usually take verse 14, verse 14, and we put them in one little category. Yeah. But verse 16, which is, an extremely important verse of scripture for believers grace. is directly yeah. connected to that mm -hmm. because we have a high priest who knows exactly, he knows our frame, he knows how we're wired, he knows what we've been exposed to, mm -hmm. he knows what we have not been exposed to because, you know, we can't be held accountable for the light that we don't have yet. Right. And that's why it's so important for us to know the word. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because we have a high priest, and he's called great high priest, great high yeah. priest in other places of scripture. Because we have a high priest who is very much aware of what it's like to live as a human being here, because of that fact, let us therefore come boldly yeah. to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah. That's so important because most people don't understand that and because they don't understand the nature of God. In our humanity... When we do wrong, when we sin, when we hurt when, someone. When we sin, not if. Not when, yeah, when <laughs> we sin, when we sin. Yeah. We think, okay, he's mad at me now. I can't possibly go to him. Okay, that's, that's the human perspective of God. Yeah. He's mad at me now, so let me go perform some penance. Let me go mm -hmm. do some good works. Let me get back to church. Uh, let me start tithing. Maybe I should spend some time in prayer. Let me do some good deeds for somebody. Go buy yeah. some groceries for someone. Why? What's fueling that? It's not that I want to bless somebody or it's not that I want to get closer to God. I feel like I've got to atone. Yeah, the motive's wrong. The motive is yeah. wrong. You know what? Like, like that verse that you just read, the throne of grace come boldly. I have to remember that. And lately I have been, when I sin, when I do something that is like so off of like who God created me to be and like I know it, lately... I'll maybe spend like a minute or two in shame. But then like not much longer after that, I'm like, I know what the word says. I'm forgiven. I'm not going to stay in the pity party. Right. But out of respect, out of respect, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Out of respect, out of res God, I, I, I know. sorrow, godly sorrow. Godly yeah. sorrow. But Lord, I feel like I, you know what I've done. You know why I did it. You know the extent I did it. You know what harm I brought. But I still feel like, Lord, I really need to come and confess this. Yeah, oh yeah. Because it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. It's for our benefit. But it's also a show, it's an act of respect. Like, you yeah. know, you hurt somebody's feelings. You shouldn't just ignore the fact and go, right. oh, you know, they love me anyway. No, out of respect for that person. Hey, listen, I'm really sorry I messed up. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have treated you the way I did. Yeah. It's, it's not, I know it's I not going to affect I say that to my wife all the time. If I say something unkind, unloving, whatever, like if, if I'm just way out, out of line with her and then like, I go to I drive, I come dri drive down here to work uh, after arguing with her in the in the morning. Like I'll call her up or 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 text her at least. Like I was wrong, right? And because you know, like this isn't going to be grounds for divorce. I know we're not going to, right, of course. But but out of respect for yeah. her, hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Let's let's clear the air here. Yeah. I know it was wrong, and I, I'm saying that because unfortunately, there's some some overemphasis in the area of, of the subject of grace that is causing some people to think, no, I never have to confess my sin. Granted, he knows it, but wouldn't it be nice just out of respect, out of a yeah. father-son relationship to say, 
Father, I'm sorry. I, I, forgive my temporary insanity mm -hmm. here, uh, but I'm not just going to make believe this didn't happen. It happened. It wouldn't be respectful to you if I just ignored it. Well, all this stuff is just a response to his grace. It is. I remember in the Bible school a couple of weeks ago, um, when uh, Pastor Jerry, he said something that I just, I, I, I can't, uh, get this out of my mind. One thing that he said, like, like all this stuff, like, like in the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, like these aren't things that like you should do. These aren't like should do's. These are things that we do as a response. As an God. overflow, out of the overflow out of our of the, relationship yeah. with God. Everything mm -hmm. we do in life should be out of the overflow of our relationship with God. Yeah. We talked about this the other morning in our staff prayer. Uh, ministry, bottom line, the very the rawest, if I could say it that way, definition of ministry is how I treat other people and what I'm willing to do for them out of the overflow of my relationship with God. Yeah. And that's why I had made that statement the other day. I don't ever want to be a professional minister. Yeah. I want to be raw. I want to minister out of my overflow, out of the overflow of I'm experiencing with my father. Yep. And if I, if out of the overflow of my relationship with God, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to lash out on somebody. It's not like I'm going to get it perfect. I think it's when I say something unkind and hopefully it doesn't happen at all, but when it does happen, I'll recognize like, that's not my nature anymore. Right. That's not how God treats right. me. Right. I want to reach out to that person yeah. and make things right. Exactly. I want to. Out of your new nature. Yeah. What the damage you did was done out of the old nature, Yeah. but we repair it out of the overflow of our new nature. Yeah. So, but let's get back to this here. Right. Because, so God searches uh, just, for us. He does. Right? He but not only does he search for us, he's telling us here, when you screw up, when you mess up, please, you got, you're too important to stay in that place of yeah. shame. Too important to, the, to the, the plan for the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, you're too important to God's plan. So he's saying, so just come to me and come to me with boldness. Don't come to me with your tail between your legs. That's what he's saying here. Mm -hmm. Let us therefore come boldly. Well, how do you, how, what, what produces boldness? Intimacy. Yeah. Relationship produces boldness. When I go to my dad's house, I don't have to like ask if it's okay for me to have a glass of water. Exactly. I just go and get it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I use that example all the time. My kids come to my house, you know, especially my, my son, Mark. Who's had the habit of every time walking in the house goes right to the refrigerator, opens up the refrigerator, <laughs> <laughs> opens up the cabinets to see what kind of snacks are. And he doesn't stop and, and grovel on the ground and go, "Oh, mighty Father, is it okay for me to, you know, search through, you know, and, yeah. and rifle through all your possessions here to see what I want?" He he, he comes boldly, and and God wants us to come boldly. Why? Because when you can walk into your dad's house with boldness. That means you're in the overflow of that mm -hmm. relationship. And that's, he doesn't want yeah. us coming there fearing punishment. Fear. He wants us coming there boldly yes. to the throne of what? Grace. Grace. Obtain mercy. To obtain mercy. You've heard me teach this plenty yep. of times. That, this portion of scripture here for me is kind of like, this is almost like a path of life. Hmm. I can come to him when I mess up and obtain mercy for what I've done. But while I'm there, if I'm really transparent with God, I'm gonna say, I can't guarantee I'm not gonna do this again because I didn't realize I was gonna do this this yeah. time. It snuck up on me because that's what sin should do to us, right? It should sneak up on us, Yeah. okay? 
so Lord, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to resist this in the future. I may find myself back here again. So Father, I receive your mercy for what I've done. That covers my past. Mm -hmm. But Father, now I want grace to empower me not to do this in the future. Yeah. I love the fact that he put both mercy and grace yeah. in this scripture here. I, I obtain mercy. I, I find mercy for what I've done. You can't attach mercy to the yeah. future. Well, it's like with the, the woman who's caught in adultery. Um, I don't know why we could put a title on that. Yeah, for this her. poor lady really for all the, of eternity. The woman, the woman yeah. who was shown mercy. Right. And grace because he forgave her. Yeah, we, always he put the her we always put the emphasis on the person who's sinned. He, he let her go, right. but it was also don't do it again. Right. But I think the words coming out of his, out of, we're talking about John 8, the woman caught in adultery. I think his words to her saying, go and sin no more empowered mm -hmm. her. Yeah, absolutely. That was, she found mercy. Yeah. And then she got grace for the future. Yeah. The supernatural empowerment not to do what comes so easy for us to do. Mm -hmm. So we, we talked about God understands us, right? Mm -hmm. God can sympathize with right, based us. Based on he that knows, scripture, Psalm he, 139, exactly. Psalm 103. Yes, he, know, he knows our life. And then it's like, he takes that information, what he knows about us. God understands us, but then he searches for us. He uses what he knows about us to search for us. I can look back, I don't know if you could say the same, I could look back on my life, I could look back at how God was reaching me and used people to plant seeds in my life. He, Absolutely. He, he sent the right people into my life and then you know, he brought this church, he brought me to this church mm -hmm. and he knows me, he knows what I'm like, he, he knew that I was gonna respond well to some of the things that are in this church. He just, he just has this thing about us where he... Um, well, it comes back to that knowing our frame. Knowing our so friend, what you're yeah. talking about, as you're talking, I'm seeing on the inside, wow. So because he knows our frame, because he knows Corey, and he's known Corey from the time that Corey's been conceived, okay? He knows the pitfalls in Corey's life. He knows where you're going to get off. He knows the obstacles and the stumbling blocks. All this. So now because he knows our frame, he customizes the rescue plan. Yeah. He customizes Absolutely. how he's going to ransom us, yeah. what's going to attract us, how our heart's going to be mm -hmm. pulled towards him. So go ahead, finish what you were saying. Yeah, well, well how about you? Can, can you look back oh my gosh. on your life? And, and like, yeah. how did God customize your rescue plan? Absolutely customize it. Um, I can look back, and I've actually tried to contact these individuals. There were two individuals in, in my high school. Everybody knew them as the Jesus Freaks. Hmm. It was a young girl and a guy. And the guy was like Mr. Football Team. Like, yeah. wasn't some... There wasn't somebody you would have said, okay, this is a guy who sings in a choir on Sunday, okay? Yeah. And both of them were just uh, not vocal to, to the point of being obnoxious, but they let you know who they were, that they were born-again Christians, that they believed in God, that they were involved in their local churches. And of course, to me, it was like, well, that's a freaky thing. I don't know what that's all about. You know, especially being raised <laughs> Catholic as I was, and you know, Catholics think they're the only ones going to get to heaven. So I didn't think I needed yeah. any of that. You know, I was baptized, made my confirmation the whole bit. You remember your baptism? No, I don't remember that baptism. I don't remember that baptism. But um, I look back and I go, that was possibly the beginning. Yeah. But I can even go back even further. And um, you've heard me talk about, you know, I was raised in, obviously in a Catholic church, went to Catholic school, went to mass every morning. There was a time period, probably when I was about nine or 10 years old, maybe 11, 
where I started to become very aware of the reality of God. And there's not a particular event that took place. It was more of a drawing. And I remember spending multiple, multiple times of while you know, we had our lunch break in school, you know, uh, where I went to school, where I went to school, the school was here and the Catholic church was literally right on the same piece of property. So lunchtime, they would block off the streets because they didn't have a big playground or anything. Yeah. They would block off the streets and we would be out there, kickball, baseball, whatever. Yeah. But there was a time period where when everybody else went out there, I felt drawn to go into church. And there was nobody there. It's dark. The candles are, you know, flickering. Yeah. And I would sit there, and you know, you 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 went to Catholic churches and no, stuff. No, I didn't grow. I didn't grow up. You anything. didn't grow up Catholic. No, I didn't grow up in anything. Okay. So you know, the Catholic churches are full of stained glass windows, right, statues, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. I would sit there, and I would talk. I would talk to who I believed was God, you know, and say, "Are you real? Is this real? Is this hmm. stuff really real?" If you're real, I had no idea. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't even know any of these things. I would say, if you're real, I want to know you. Yeah. Wow. So the first time wow. I read Paul writing in Philippians, I want to know you. I'm like, wait a second. That's what I used to say when I was a kid <laughs> and just sat there in those pews by myself in the church. And of course, I risked the fact of being, you know, called the weirdo and ostracized because everybody else was outside playing sports. I just, I needed to know. Wow, I needed. I would look at. I would look at him on that crucifix, and it was a life-size crucifix. You know, the Catholic Church is not going <laughs> to. Yeah, it's a life-size. I want to make an impact, and I would look at him on the cross and go, "Are you real? Did you really do this for us, for me?" And that was the beginning. Yeah. And then it took. Well, I didn't get born again until I was twenty-seven, but the last few years before that were probably some of the worst, most horrific years of my life. But God custom crafted. A, a rescue plan. Yeah. He custom crafted it for you. Yeah. He, with can, you, he used business to he, get you. He used businessman. Right. He was a businessman who, who had a business deal with you. Right. And, so, and even that was another part of the rescue plan. I hired a person. I needed this person to work for me. I had no idea she was a born again Christian when she when she came to work for me. And then it came out. I'm like, oh God, what did I get myself involved with here? Because my, my perspective or my picture in my mind was, okay, she's going to preach all day long. Mm. She's going to tell us we're all going to go to hell. <laughs> um, and it wasn't that way. She really just lived her life out in front of us. So all these little bits and pieces, and every person that's watching, every person that's listening, every individual has the same story. When you really be honest and transparent, you will look back and say, my God, he custom crafted a rescue plan for me. Yep. Not this blanket thing. No. No. Just custom crafted. Yeah, I, I know for, for me, because you talk about, you know, friends in high school. I had a buddy in high school. Uh, we were both on the track team, and he was Christian. I wasn't, and he gave me a Bible, and I took it home, and I read it, like, or I attempted to read it, and I, got, I didn't, you know, I didn't, didn't connect with me. But this friend of mine, this this was a guy who I trusted and who I had so much respect for, and I know I knew he was totally different from the rest of us goons on the track team. And um, so God, God used that and that at least planted a seed. Yeah. And then later on, I, I met somebody who, who was super integral in, in, in my coming to Christ. And, and this person that he used, he goes to church here now, uh, his name is Jack. And he was just like the right person uh, that God sent into my life. And, and, and I think God 
again, going back to that custom crafted rescue. Absolutely. Plan, it's like God knew what he was doing. And it kind of goes into what you were talking about when, or, or when you and the campus pastors um, preached that weekend when it was, um, when we did the revealing the God nature, the yes. re- revealing the nature of God yeah. message. Yeah. The parables of, you know, we had the lost coin or Absolutely. we had the lost, lost sheep, sheep, the lost coin. Um, can you go into a little, a little bit of the historical context or, or if you want, or just ha- how is God's custom crafted rescue plan kind of similar to like these, the, the shepherd looking for the sheep or the woman looking for well, the coin? Well, yeah, we got to remember that he, he was talking to an agricultural society. Yeah. I mean, we have to bring this out when we preach these messages because I mean, how many shepherds do we have in our church? You know, and how many shepherds do we have just in general in our yeah. society, especially here where we live in the Northeast? You know, um, it, the, the whole bottom line of that is that every single person is so precious to God. Now, it says that the shepherd would leave the 99 mm-hmm. to go and follow the one. Yeah. Now, in our society today, we would go, okay, now let's make a rational assessment. Is it is it wise for me? to leave no. the 99, I might be jeopardizing my investment. Rationally, no. No, rationally, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't, it just wouldn't make sense. But God's love doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. God's personality doesn't. I mean, yeah. here's a being who's able to speak one word and annihilate everything that exists. And sometimes we'll be justified to do that. Yeah. But here he is, he has patience with us. He's long suffering. He endures, puts yeah. up with us, like all of our junk, all our crap if i could say it. Yeah. i'm sorry to say it that way <laughs> he just puts up with so much for us and just keeps loving us but here's this picture that jesus painted and they understood what he was saying because they were probably questioning themselves and go i don't know if i'd leave yeah, i wouldn't do that i wouldn't leave the majority of my flock to go after that one yeah because it was probably one that always got in trouble yeah oh one that was always wandering <laughs> off and it's almost like a shepherd would say you know what i'll Let sacrifice that one i'll make sure i hold on to the right yeah that's not the love of god you see, that in itself is, is revealing the nature of the Father. Because you've got to remember something else about Jesus, okay? And this is something I'm getting ready, I'm going to be teaching on, hopefully in the near future. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to kind of give me the, the green light. Go ahead. Yeah. I come to realize this lately, just recently. I heard somebody on another teaching that I was listening to. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was a book that, I, that I've been reading um, about how after Jesus' baptism, his whole point of reference in his life is the relationship between him and his father in heaven. Everything originates from that relationship. Yeah. He's constantly talking about my father in heaven, my father in heaven, my father in heaven. Hmm. I only do what the father says. I only say what the father says to say. I only, it's like, and that's part of the thing we don't really realize. And because for the most part, most people do not have good relationships with their natural fathers, it blocks us from seeing the true perspective and the true nature of God. So, so yeah, he brings this story out to them. And guaranteed, there were people in that, in that congregation, in that audience, the multitude. They were like, this doesn't make sense. But they, he brought, they were the lost sheep themselves. They were the lost sheep. They were the lost sheep. So we need to gain that perspective of God that he'll do whatever he needs to do to reach us. Now, yeah. we still have to respond. Oh, yeah. We well, still have to respond. He's love. If, if, if the yeah. nature of God is love, well, love doesn't twist the arm absolutely or force right um, so it's funny in luke chapter 15 you have three stories yeah you have the lost sheep the lost coin and then the prodigal yeah. son which we'll get to later well, that i mean the, the lost coin one was one that 
most people don't really understand what that's about. Because, you know, it talks about how this lady has, this coin, and she loses a coin. Maybe you get some spare change I found in the parking lot. <laughs> exactly, or in the couch, you know. Yeah. Uh, one, of my, one of my sons used to wait till whatever he had company, when the company would leave, he'd go on the couch and see if any of the change fell out of their pockets. So most people, when they read that parable, that story, that illustration, if you, want, if you would, they think, oh, she lost a pa I'm not gonna rip the whole house apart for a dime. I'm not gonna, no, no, no. They don't understand the significance of what that coin meant to the individuals. The people, the women that were in that crowd, when he told that story, they understood exactly what he was saying. Yeah. And I brought this out in the message. It was equivalent to a woman today losing their diamond engagement ring or their wedding ring, that they place so much emotional significance yeah. to it, attachment to it. It reminds them of the wedding day, reminds them of the love that the husband has for them. Uh, because, you know, what we talked, we've talked about, and you can, you can, Google this and get pictures. I mean, even today, uh, I believe in, in Southern, uh, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula in Yemen, uh, they still conduct weddings. They still do it like ancient times where a woman is dressed with all the wealth that the family is granting them to launch them into their future. And, and most of the time, these women would wear these, it's like a chain, almost yeah. like a, and it would cross here, and it would be 10 coins on it or different number of coins, each one of very valuable gold coins. Wow. This was the wedding piece that the woman would wear the day of the wedding, when the wedding ceremony. So each coin is super valuable. Each coin is super valuable. If you have a diamond engagement ring and you might have 10 diamonds in it, oh, I lost one, that's no big deal. No, you want that, you yeah. don't want a, a hole in your wedding ring. You wanna make sure that that diamond is there. Yeah. You're gonna replace it, you're gonna make sure you it's find incomplete. that diamond. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Plus it speaks of the covenant. Marriage is a covenant. So when that's missing, it's like my covenant's missing, my covenant, my covering, wow. my security, my stability. This represents my relationship with my husband. Hmm. And we know that in the, in the New Testament now, you see a little bit in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the church is considered the bride of Christ. You know, we're becoming that. Yeah. You know, uh, we're not that yet. We will. There'll be a time when we're declared the bride of Christ. When, when we come into that place of being without spot, without blemish, that's in eternity, okay? Um, now we should be heading that way, but all of these things tie together, but what do they reveal about the nature of God? And what I brought out in that message, which I didn't realize until later, each story has one thing in common. Each story has a character who was willing to move heaven and earth to yeah. find that which is lost. Wow. That is so important. And you talked about before how it's unfair that we refer to that woman as the woman that caught in the act of adultery. Yeah. We always seem to put the emphasis on the negative. Well, the prodigal son's the same thing. That yeah. story is really not about the prodigal mm -hmm. son. That story is about the father. Yeah. That story, that just like the, the the incident that took place with the woman caught in adultery, should really be about the mercy that Jesus showed. Yeah. The prodigal son. The story there should be really about the benevolent father. How much, how loving he was. Amen. How uncompromising he was in his commitment towards his son. Yeah. Well, you know that. I think that's a good segue in, into. The kind of like the final section of this, because first we talk about God understands us. He sympathizes with us. He yes. can relate with us. He, know, he knows us. And because of that, then he can, he can use all that, what he knows about us to search us out. God searches for us. So he understands us. He searches for us. But when he finds us, what does he do? Does he just leave us the way we are? No, no of course not. He, he, number three, restores us. Yeah. And so that's what we see happening here yeah. in, the, in the parable or... Um, the, the prodigal son, AKA the benevolent father story. Right, right, exactly. So what, what does that restoration process look like? Well, that restoration process <clears throat> is really conditional. 
And it's like that. No, no, just think about it. Yes, God is constantly doing everything possible to reach us, but we've got to respond. It's conditional. Yeah. So would you, what there would is you say? a major population of the, of the planet that has not chosen to be restored. Yeah. That has rejected God, rejected his message, yeah. rejected the savior. So restoration is never automatic. It's, yeah. it's always offered, but we've got to respond. Yeah, and I think a lot of Christians need to know that, and may, maybe some people who are watching or, or listening right now, the, re the restoration process, really it's up to us. Yeah, the plan is there. Everything's ready to go into motion, but we've got to say yes. Yeah. We've got to be the ones that are willing to submit ourselves and say, Father, whatever it's gonna take. Because restoration without redemption is hollow. Mm. Now, good. what good would it be for, me, for God to restore everything that I've ever lost in my life, but my character's never changed? What good is it for God to bring me into a place of great prominence and great wealth and great yes. step if my character hasn't changed? Because given the time, you've heard these stories of these people who win these multi-million, millions of millions of dollars in the lottery and then they end and up bankrupt. Worse, they're worse than They're worse before. off, why? Because <laughs> that, that, what they received didn't change them. Yeah. In fact, it probably made them worse because if they were a jerk before they hit the lottery, they're probably a bigger jerk now because the pride and the arrogance and the haughtiness of I got something you don't have. And, yeah. You know, then the bitterness sets in. Oh, you just want me because of, because of my money. The restoration without redemption and without transformation is hollow. And a lot of Christians don't understand. I don't even know if we understand it completely. Yeah. The restoration is really about getting restored to the relationship that Adam had with God hmm. before the fall before sin came into the world. And that's why Jesus said, unless you come to me as little children, you're not gonna really experience the kingdom of heaven. Adam and Eve came to, they, their relationship with God was very childlike, very innocent. In fact, it's called the dispensation of innocence. When you break up the time frames of human history, yeah. the time before the fall is called the age of innocence. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they, they had no clue of anything else. there was no knowledge of good and evil. There was no knowledge of good and evil. They had no experience with, good and evil, uh, excuse me. They had no experience with the knowledge of evil. Right. They knew good. Oh yeah, they knew They good. knew love. They were product of God's love. So we've got to remember that. So coming back to this prodigal son, the story of the restoration of the son to his father. Um, I talked about this, I believe in, in the message when I, when I taught this a few weeks ago. I came across this information years ago. I've tried to look for it again and I've had a hard time looking for it, but I came across this, it was, it was by Bible commentators that study you know, history, yeah. both ancient uh, Old Testament history and the early church. And it's very interesting when it came to this story that Jesus told, there's two, there's two schools of thought. One was he was actually referring to a family that had just experienced this and everybody in the area knew that. Well, I don't know that Jesus and his character would have revealed something shameful mm. that was going on in somebody's house. Then the other school of thought, which I kind of adhere to more, is that this was like the pet sermon that all the rabbis were using. Yeah. For like the, in, what they call the intertestamental age, like that 400 year period between the Old Testament and New right. Testament. That the rabbis, for, the, for like 100 years before Jesus was on the earth, this was their favorite illustration to use. But they would teach it under Old Testament guidelines. Uh, basically, they would teach it in the light of the law of Moses. Well, the law of Moses is very clear. If a son disrespects the father, sins against the father, there's one remedy. You drag that kid outside the city gates and they're stoned, stoned to, to death. death. Yeah. 
So imagine, now, after these people have been hearing this story, guaranteed, when Jesus started telling the story, somebody must have turned to the wife and said, ah, I've heard this story so many times already, I'm going to listen to Not this. Not likely you're about to hear it now. Exactly. They had no clue about how they were going to hear it at that time. Why? Because they didn't understand the nature of the Father. Mm. You, you know what just came to my mind? The law came through, Mo let me say it into the mic, the law came through Moses, but grace Go and ahead. truth came through. came through Christ. Exactly. I think that's displayed pretty well in, 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 this, in this parable. Well, there. that's why it's so important to understand, you know, you ask the average person, if we could ask the average person in our audience right now, why did Jesus come to the earth? Well, he came to die on the cross to save us from our sins. That only took six hours. But he was here for 33 and a half years. Yeah. And three and a half years of that was ministry. We forget. He could have came, showed up and said, okay, let me get on the cross. I've got to save everybody. No, he spent the majority of his time the greatest percentage of the time that he was here on the earth, he spent revealing the Father mm. to people who should have known him, but forgot about him. Yep. They got caught up in the idolatry, got caught up in their own self-righteousness, got caught up in their salvation being uh, uh, a product of their goodness and of their great deeds and doing all these different things and rituals and all this other kind of stuff. And so that's why it's so important for us to really, if we're gonna concentrate on anything for spiritual growth, it's get to, get to know the nature of the Father. There's some Christians that know way more about the devil than they know about God <laughs> themselves. They're experts when it comes to the devil. They have, a, they have a little horn on the necklace. Well, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> that's other a whole story. Other. <laughs> that's a whole other story. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's knowing the nature. Why? Because when we know the nature of God, it should cause us to feel very at ease with him. It's when we don't know the nature of God. This son in the, in the story did not know the nature of his own father. Why? Because he came to himself, it says. Let's go through the story, just for those who are not familiar yeah. with it. Jesus tells a story about a man who had two sons. They obviously had some type of a family business. They're probably, they own a ranch, a plantation, something like that. They're all working together, okay? It's an agricultural yeah. business. The son comes to the father, the younger son comes to the father and says, Father, I would like my portion of the estate. And then in one translation, I believe it's the King James, it says, and the father divided his livelihood. Well, what's livelihood? Livelihood is not my bank account. My bank account's not my livelihood. My livelihood is what produces income for me. Yeah. You understand what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So, because so, it's been taught in the past that, well, the son should have been d d ashamed of himself. He disgraced his father because he asked his father for, the, for his part of the estate before the father died. That's not what he said. He went to the father basically saying, listen, I'd like to strike out on my own. I'd like to start my own business. Can I have my share of the business? Because hmm. I want to go on my own and do this. Now, unfortunately, he didn't have a plan. Uh, thought he knew better than his own father. All these different things factored in. <laughs> I can relate. But yeah, but you know what? He, he failed. Yeah. And, and you and I both know, let's face it, the father knew the kid was going to fail. <laughs> he That's knew. He knew point, he was going to yeah. fail. God knows... And sometimes they'll let us just go on our own little tangents knowing, okay, you know, I'm here. You know, when you come to yourself, yeah. I'm here. But go ahead. You want to knock yourself out, knock yourself out. And that's when we do things in our own strength. Yeah. So, so the son takes his portion of, of the livelihood, of the business, his share. Let's say the father split up his stocks and said, okay, you're going to get so many shares of stock. And it says, and he went to a far country and obviously expecting to make a go of it. And when he's there, he doesn't have a plan. He wastes all this money. He ends up destitute. 
you, you know the story. Most people, from, even people that don't go to church are familiar with the story. Yeah. Uh, he ends up in a pig pen, which for a Jewish kid, that's a big problem. He's got to be far away if he's hanging around he's pigs. Definitely, he's definitely far away. He's not in Israeli-controlled area. Because yeah. there's no pig farms in Israel. No. Okay. Um, there wouldn't have been then, and there certainly aren't any today. So we know he went far away. It doesn't work. He's stuck out there. There's nobody sending him a bus ticket. Nobody's sending him an airline ticket. There's no way for him to get home. But in that state, he comes to himself. What does that mean? He got a reality check. What am I doing here? And so now he begins to remember some of the father's goodness because he said, what am I doing here? My father's slaves are eating better than me. Let me go back to my father. And he starts to rehearse, puts this script together. Yeah. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, what does that tell us? He didn't know his father's nature. I don't even think he really remembered that it was his father. I think maybe he was just thinking of him as like an employer. Yeah. More but so it, was, it was kind of like self debasing. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah. Well, had he really known his father? Had he remembered that his father didn't forbid him to take his portion? He let the son go away? He would have realized, wow, my dad's different than what I thought he was. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it now and. He didn't try to stop me. He didn't say, there's no way I'm going to let you waste all the money that I worked right. hard for. He let him do it. That should have told the yeah. son. So now the son's rehearsing this script all the way home. And you know the story. And then when he gets home and he gets on the front porch, well, actually, even before he gets home, while he's still far away, the father sees him. Well, if the father saw him far away, what does that tell us about the father? He's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's on, he, the father's out there in the driveway looking into the distance like, so he had an expectation that his son was going to come back. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wasted his time. And then there's other things in there that we miss in our Western mindset. It says when he saw his son afar off, he ran. That must have shocked the people in the audience that day. The Pharisees and the scribes. The yeah. Pharisees and scribes. For them, for an elder gentleman to run, <laughs> a person who's supposed to carry themselves dignified and stately, okay? Because for this man to run, obviously he's an elderly man. He's got to pick up his robe. He's got to tuck it yeah. between his legs. It was considered very bad taste for an elderly man to show their legs. Any type mm -hmm. of, you know. It well, just, Jesus cared so much about his own dignity, he wouldn't have died on the cross. And he went naked. Yeah. And he went naked, not with the cute little diaper like most <laughs> pictures show. They crucified a person completely naked because yeah. it was part of the humiliation. So, yeah, that's a real good, uh, a good um, picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this father runs to his son and he grabs the son and he's hugging the son. And the son is intent on making this confession. Father, I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, the thing that stuck out to me the most, the father ignores the son's hmm. confession. He doesn't even respond to it. I could see him because if he, he ran... He past it, blows, sifts through the chaff. Sifts through the that chaff. That was the chaff. Exactly. That was the junk. Just sifts right through. It allows the, the, the wind of the adversity that this young man has suffered to get to the, to have the true person come out. And so the first thing the father, as he's hugging, I always picture this, as he's hugging the son, he's not listening to what the son's saying. Mm -hmm. He's talking to his servants. Hey, go get his robe. Go get his ring. Go get some sandals. 
my son who was dead is 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 back to life again. He yeah. was lost and now he's found. He's here. He's here. He's not listening. The son's probably still sobbing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And yet the father never paid attention wow. to what the son was saying. All his concern was to restore him. Why? Because he saw the transformation had already taken place. He was able to he was able to restore the yeah. son because he sensed the transformation in his heart. So he saw even the little steps that, that the son take. He the son didn't see it that way. The son didn't see his his little steps as anything. Absolutely not. No, he didn't. He didn't he didn't understand the custom crafted plan to rescue. Wow. But he had it. But watch now. We talked about this. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. Well, the son had he, to come back. He had to come to himself. And he had to put on the, the, the robe and, and the ring and the sandals. Imagine how uncomfortable that must have felt for the son. I don't deserve this robe. We yeah. do this all the time. Well, what, what, what is the robe and the ring and the sandals? That the, ring, the ring represents this is an heir to this family. Yeah. Every family would have had a ring with an insignia on it. Yeah. And would have been recognizable. Um, I might be dating some things here, but if you've ever watched the movie Ben-Hur, classic, mm -hmm. classic movie. Well, when uh, Judah Ben-Hur gets to Rome through a series of events where he's treated completely unfair, he's accused of something that was completely untrue and false, imprisoned, and then he's, took, he's brought to one of these Roman uh, ships where he's now confined to the dungeon in the ship, in the galley. He's just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. Well, there's a shipwreck, there's a battle that takes place, the ship gets out, and he saves the life of the commander, and the commander starts a relationship with him. He eventually adopts this Judah Ben-Hur. So Judah Ben-Hur goes back to Jerusalem, and he's carrying the ring of the family of his adopted father. Wow. And when he's questioned, like, how is it, he shows him the ring. And they recognize, wow, he is the heir to this big shot political leader in Rome. Yeah. And we better not mess with him because we know who his father is. Mm -hmm. That's what the ring represented. Wow. Okay. It represented authority. The robe represented, again, belonging to a particular family. In other words, this son, when he was part of the business, he would have he would have dressed different than the slaves. So now restore him put the, and put sandals on his feet. Sandals are extremely important because slaves, slaves did not wear sandals. Wear. Yeah. They were completely barefoot. How does he show up? No ring, no robe, no shoes. How does he walk out of the house after the father gets done with him? <laughs> he's got the ring on his hand. Yeah. He's wearing the robe that designates this is one of the family members. And he's got shoes. He's got sandals on his feet. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that is tied to what we were talking about before in Hebrews 4. We come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not easy to come boldly this, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, this what we're talking about here with the robe and the ring and the sandals and this restoration process, it really does make me think about how when we do come boldly to the throne of grace, when we sin um, or whenever, whenever we're just having a hard time, it may not even be just sin, maybe we're it's just... displaying humanity. Yeah, when, when we're coming boldly to the throne of grace, in, in other words, when we come to God like we actually know him and we we know that he knows us and that he loves us and he hasn't left us um i think that's when the restoration process starts well i would imagine that that son conducted himself very different oh, after yeah. that day and we should we should be we should be walking in the knowledge of how much our heavenly father loves us mm -hmm. what he what price he was willing to pay to restore us back to that place of authority sonship sonship belonging yeah okay um, I think 
I believe that's why it's so important for us to know the nature of God. Yeah. But but it's got to be the word that reveals the nature of God. Yeah. It can't be, well, the way I see it, the way I think. Oh, you know, I picture God being, no, 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 no. Those are good when they line up with the word. Yeah. But they're extremely dangerous and poisonous if we try to come up with our own picture of God that is apart from here, mm-hmm. apart from and, the scriptures. And that goes back to what we're talking about in our teaching series that we're doing now, the Apostles' Creed. And it's like, we want to see the supernatural. We want to experience the supernatural. We want to experience supernatural healing or, or emotional healing. We, we want to come to church and have a great experience, a great feeling. And, you know, a little Holy we want Ghost, to live a great experience. A little Holy Ghost goosebumps. And, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like, if that stuff isn't built on, on, a, on an accurate biblical foundation, foundation, then whatever we're going to build, it's just going to fall. Exactly. It's and not so going to last. And a great place to start is the, the nature of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the Apostles' Creed starts out. I believe in God Almighty, mm-hmm. creator of heaven and earth. It's right there. Yeah. I think this is a great place to end. I, I had a really great time. I think we talked for about an yeah, hour. Yeah, this, is, this has um, really been good. There's been a lot of good man, stuff came out. I'm going to listen to this again because yeah. it's like so much came out of it. Yeah. We hope that this time that we've spent here, the time that you've invested listening, has added value to you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's our goal. Yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to lift people up. We want to add value. And... Um, I'm believing that's what we accomplished. Amen. Amen. See you in a couple weeks for episode two. And uh, that's it. Have Have an awesome day.